your copy of God's Word and turn one last time, for a little while at least, I think, to uh, James and find the fifth chapter. We're going to finish up our series uh, that we've called Practical Christian Living. James chapter 5, and you may have already noticed the uh, title of today's message in your bulletin. It's just one word, pray, pray. Simple enough, right? Simple enough. But is it? It's easy to say that. It's easy to encourage that. But what about actually doing it? Pray. Pray. Prayer. If you've ever really sought to develop a consistent prayer life, you've probably found out uh, very quickly that real prayer can be hard work. But why is prayer so hard? Why do we struggle with it so to have a consistent, ongoing prayer life? Well, as I studied this out this past week, I ran across something that Anne Graham Lott said. And I thought that in just a, just a short uh, section here, she summarized it so well. Here's what she said. Prayer is hard work. We may neglect it because we're too tired, too busy, or too distracted to put into prayer the effort required. I thought, well, that pretty well summarizes it. We may be too tired. I mean, we're running a lot. We're running so much. Uh, when we get uh, to the point when we can pray, we are so tired from running, we get drowsy and we fall asleep and kind of nod off and we say, well, the Lord understands. I'm, I'm tired and, and I tried and, and I just prayed myself to sleep. Or, or maybe we're too busy. We've got so much to do. I mean, really, who has the time to be still and to be quiet and to take some real time to dedicate to talking to someone that you can't even see? Or here's a real struggle today. We're too distracted. I mean, we've got TV shows to catch up on. Uh, we're behind on our Facebook and our Twitter, Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat, Snapchat and all that stuff. And, and uh, we've got uh, binging and noises going off and people are texting us and, and calling us. And, and we're just busy and, and we're behind at work and, and the grass need mode and all these things. And we can just keep going on and on and on about how busy we are. And because we're so busy, we're distracted. And because we're busy and distracted, we're tired. And then I thought, well, I'd probably add at least two more if I was going to say why we have such a hard time. I think the, another reason is because we're too discouraged about praying. You know why? Because we prayed before and it didn't work. It seems like our prayers didn't get the answers we were looking for. We got no answer and it seemed that heaven was silent. And so we're discouraged about it. We say, you know, I've tried that before and I'm too discouraged to pray and it really all comes down, if you will, to maybe one more. And that is, if we were honest, we might say, well, I'm too prideful. It's hard to admit this, but if truth were known, I can handle most of these things on my own. I don't need the Lord's help. And, and so I can do what I need to do. And, you know, if, if something really does come up, I'll pause and pray. But, but I'm okay right now, which is really a sign of pride. You know, there are plenty of excuses for not praying. But we all know, we all know that we need to pray. In our final message of James, he calls us to pray. And I want you, as we go through the passage today, I want you to notice how many times he talks about praying, where he says prayer or pray, all right? 
And today I hope it's going to be an encouraging message. I'm not here to discourage you. I'm not here to beat you down about your prayer life. I'm here to lift you up and I'm here to encourage you. And James wants to help us. And so it's going to be really practical today as we finish out our time in the book of James. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Have you noticed a theme already? Prayer, pray, pray, prayer, prayer, prayer. Elijah, verse 17, was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't stop and do what James told us to do here. We need to stop and pray, and then we'll look at this passage. Father, thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for this whole study that we've been doing in the book of James. And now as we finish up today, I pray the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We would be responsive and submissive to His leading in our life. We would receive the truth today and act upon it in obedience. Help me to speak Your Word and only Your Word today. And may You receive all the honor and glory for what You're doing and what You're about to do in this place. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, verse 13, that very first verse we read today kind of summarizes our life. Did you notice that? It says there in verse 13, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. It's kind of a summary of life. There's suffering and there's singing. There's hurting and there's happiness. There's pressure and there is pleasure. And that pretty much summarizes our life, isn't it? We go from suffering to singing and and all the way in between. And we have life, we have things that happen, and life is like that. There are highs and lows, and in the midst of it all, we need to be praying. We need to be a prayerful people. And I read a lot in preparation for these messages, and I read a a wide variety of resources sometimes. And on my shelf for the book of James, I've got a lot of commentaries, but I've got a a, a little book on there, and it's a a book of lessons for children and, and young people. And I glanced at it this past week and looked at what it had to say about this passage, It's a little book written by Tim Shinton. And what he said about this passage was just a little outline that just stuck in my mind. And out of all the other things that I read, all these scholarly things and these deep things and these people that are so deep, and then I read this little lesson for children, and I thought that outline that he gave, that three simple points, boy, it's so powerful, it's so profound, and it summarizes what this passage is all about. So I want to borrow his little three points that he had, and then we're going to build the message around those. But uh, hopefully it's going to stick in your head and stick in your heart today. 
like it did to mine. I was able this morning as I was shaving to think about just these three simple things we learned from James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. And so are you ready? Maybe you're writing them down. First of all, you need to pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. Uh, Praying for yourself is not selfish. It's biblical. Verse 13 says what? Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Uh, If you're uh, cheerful, sing some suffering there is broad. It means to have hardship, to have pain, to have distress. You know, I asked the youth this morning as I was down with them, you know, we're studying in study school about Paul and the shipwreck and all that we study today. If you're not here during study school, you need to come and get in the class and get involved and grow and learn with us. But I even asked them, you know, talking about hardship. And I said, well, you know, one of the lessons right on top of this whole thing is the fact that uh, following Christ is not always easy. We talked about, of course, the promises of God. And I asked them, have any of you had any challenges, you know, any issues, any hardship? And, and, and several of them, if not most of them, raised their hands. We have suffering. We have problems. We have hardships. Everybody in here today, this past week, you've dealt with some kind of stress and issues and pain and, and suffering. It's a very broad thing being mentioned here. That word translated suffering. You have trouble. And what he's saying is when you have trouble, pray. Pray. You've sung it a hundred times if you've been around church for most of your life. And in fact, you've sung it this morning. You may not have noticed it because it's so familiar, but you sung these words this morning. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry what? Everything to God in prayer. When we have pressures and trials and troubles and issues, we need to pray. And then it says when life is good, we need to praise the Lord. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. And of course, you know what? Singing is also a form of, of course, worship, but in a sense, it's also a form of prayer, isn't it? And so we, we praise the Lord today. You're a good, good Father. It's who you are. What a friend we have in Jesus. We will glorify the King of Kings. And so we lifted up our praise to Him and our prayers to Him. And so here's some real wisdom, beloved. Pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. Pray for wisdom. Um, James chapter 1, verse 5. If any if one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Pray for wisdom. Pray for strength. Pray for grace. But above all, pray. Take everything to the Lord in prayer. If it's a concern for you, it's a concern for you. Say, well, it's such a small thing. The Bible says casting all of your care upon Him for He cares for you. If it's a burden or something upon your heart, take it to the Lord in prayer. Pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. Second thing, ask others to pray for you. Now, this is actually more difficult in the first point, isn't it? I mean, if we're going to pray for ourselves, then we've got to humble ourselves and say, you know what, I need the Lord's help and so I'm going to pause and I'm going to pray. But listen, for me to go to the next level and not just say, I'm going to pray for myself, I'm going to ask others to pray for me, that's another level of humility, is it not? But that's what the Bible says. Look at verses 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? 
So now we're moving from just general hardships and suffering. Now we're talking about physical illness, physical sickness. Is anyone among you sick? A believer among you. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now let me just tell you something. Those two verses have been abused. Those two verses have been used to teach things that are not true, that are not consistent with the rest of Scripture. And so we want to just cover some of the basic things. Notice, first of all, it's a believer who's sick. Is anyone among you sick? And this sickness is obviously serious. It doesn't say, is anyone among you sniffling or coughing? This is not just allergies or a cold. This is a serious sickness. And then notice what's next. It says the believer calls for the elders of the church. That's the office of an elder. We refer to them as as pastors as well. And they're to pray and anoint the sick person with oil. You say, what's that all about? I understand the prayer part. What about the anointing with oil? talking about olive oil. Well, there's a lot of disagreement. Some think that what's going on here is for medicinal purposes because olive oil was used for medicinal reasons in that time. Some think, well, they're calling the elders to come and they're going to anoint with medicine and then pray. And others say, no, it's not for medicine's sake. It is symbolic. It's a picture there. It symbolizes the presence of the Lord. We're not sure, but those are the two main ideas. But the interesting thing is it says that the prayer of faith The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up or heal him and any sins that he's committed will be forgiven. Now that's a whole lot to unpack right there. And that's where a lot of people as they're driving down the Bible highway, if you will, they go off the curb and run into a ditch. And they begin to teach things that are not taught here in Scripture. So let's just unpack a couple things very basic, okay? First of all, here's a question we need to answer. Is all sickness because of sin? Is all sickness because of sin? Basic question. Let me give you the answer. Yes and no. Yes and no. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, we know that all sickness in our world is because of the fall of man. We had our great, 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 great ancestors, grandparents, Adam and Eve, way back in the Garden of Eden, our representative, and they decided to disobey God, to eat of that forbidden fruit, and therefore plunge us into sin and plunge our world into a fallen, cursed world. And so we know that all sickness, all hardship, all pain, all briars, all those things... They're because of sin, the fall of man. And sometimes, beloved, we get sick because we live in a world filled with germs and bacteria and all those things. Now, nobody's going to want to shake hands afterwards because I said that, but it's the truth nonetheless. But I said, yes, all sin is because of, I mean, all sickness is because of sin because of the original sin, if you will. But, uh, beloved, not all sickness in a person's life is because of some particular sin. Sometimes we're sick just because we live in a fallen, sin-cursed world and there's bacteria and there's germs and things. Sometimes, though, 
we do get sick because of sin in our life and God is chastening us. It talks about there that the prayer of faith will raise them up and any sin will be forgiven. Now, let me just warn you about something. It's not my place and it's not your place to make that call in somebody else's life. We should never be guilty of doing that. Somebody gets sick and says, well, I know why they're sick. No, you don't. You're not God and neither am I. God may indeed be chastening a person or it may be just a general part of the fall of man. But I will say this, when we get sick, personally, it would be good to stop and examine ourselves and say, you know what? Is there any sin in my life? Is there anything wrong in my life? And to confess any sin that might be there. We've got to be very, very careful in this matter. And so in the all sin, all, all, all sickness, ultimately it's because of the fall of man, yes, but sometimes, but not all the time, this uh, sickness comes because of some particular sin in our life. Well, there's a second question then. Is it always God's will to heal? Is it always God's will to heal? Now, you're not going to answer now because I tricked you on the first one. Well, it's the same answer. Yes and no. And again, I'm talking about believers because he's talking about believers here. Is any among you sick? So when it comes to believers, is it always God's will to heal? Yes and no. You say, well, how can it be both? Well, if you're a child of God, one day, no matter what, you will ultimately be healed and whole. You'll be perfect. And you'll have a perfect glorified body and we'll be perfect in heaven. And so, yes, it is God's desire, God's will, for us to be completely whole and healed, and one day we will, but it's not always God's will to heal us here and now. Because when we read this verse, it seems like almost a guarantee. If you just call for the pastors to come and pray and anoint them, you'll be healed. We've got to remember something, though. You've got to remember that there's a lot that came in the book of James before this verse did. And when it says if you call and anoint anoint the sick and they pray and they'll be healed and raised up, that comes in chapter 5. But here's what he said in uh, chapter 4, verse 15. Chapter 4, verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. That's already been said. James chapter 4, verse 15. Then we come to chapter 5 and it says you invite the uh, elders to come, anoint the sick with oil, pray over them. He'll raise them up, forgive his sins. We've got to remember something though. If the Lord wills, we shall live or do this or that. Sometimes, as hard as it is, it's not the Lord's will to heal here. Sometimes he chooses to restore and to heal, and sometimes he decides to call that child home. Regardless, though, we are called to pray. We're called to pray. We're called to pray. Would we not be wise when we're praying for someone else or ourselves that is sick to pray like Jesus prayed? You know, we can pray, and sometimes I'll be honest with you, because I'm put in spots sometimes and I don't know how to pray. But we're praying for someone's healing. Would we not be wise to say, would you, Lord, please, heal my brother, heal my sister, but then pray like Jesus prayed. Nevertheless, not our will be done, but your will be done. 
Nevertheless, God, your will be done. And so we need to ask others to pray for us. We need to pray for ourselves. And then thirdly, are you ready? We need to pray for others. I told you it's just simple. You know, we talked about physical needs there, but we also need to pray about spiritual needs. Look at verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, listen. If praying for ourselves was difficult, (laughs) and then... Asking others to pray for us was a bit harder. How about this? Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. So the the question is, does this mean that we need to get up in church and air out all of our dirty laundry? I mean, you just come up here and say, well, preacher, I want to share. And you just go down a long list of all the sin in your life and everything you've done, and you confess it, you say, oh, there it is, brothers and sisters, I want you to pray for me. Can I just give you a real, real complicated answer on that? No! Please don't do that. Don't air out all your dirty laundry. Don't go through everything. That's not what he's talking about here. Adrian Rogers explained it this way. He said, the circle of confession needs to follow the circle of sin. It's a real good way of thinking about how to go about doing this. The circle of confession needs to follow the circle of sin. You say, what in the world does that mean? What do you mean by that? Let me just walk you through it here. You have private sin, personal sin, and public sin. And so when you have a private sin, you need to have private confession. In other words, if there's something between you and the Lord and you've sinned, nobody knows about it but you and the Lord and so you've sinned, you've done wrong, then you need to go to the Lord personally, privately, and you need to make things right and confess that sin and and make it right. Private sin, private confession. But then you have personal sin. In other words, you've sinned against someone else. And so it's you and another individual or you and a group of individuals and you've sinned. Well, of course, you need to go to the Lord and ask His forgiveness, but you also need to go to that individual, that person or those people and say, listen, I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? And then there is public sin. And public sin should have public confession. If you publicly dishonor the Lord and you publicly done evil, then you need to publicly repent. And get right with the Lord, obviously, and with those that have been impacted by your sin. And so a lot of us live in the first two. Private sin, personal sin. But when that public sin comes, we need to humble ourselves and get right with the Lord first and then go and publicly get right. And so you see why it says there, confess your trespasses to one another. Now, when this happens, when someone comes to me personally or someone comes to a group and they ask forgiveness, what should we do? We should forgive them. And it says not only forgive them, it says confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. There should be a time of prayer. 
Now, the first one, we do that probably quite often. The second one's more difficult, but we should still do it. The third one's really difficult. But if we commit public sin, we should have public confession. But then there's another whole thing in this passage. And that is we see a brother or sister who is backsliding. They are moving away from the Lord. What do we do with them? Well, we need to pray for them too. Look at verses 19 and 20. Brethren, talking to believers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, they begin to go away from the Lord. They begin to backslide. And someone turns him back. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. What we have here is we lovingly seek to bring a brother or sister, a wandering saint back. It says that we save them from great heartache and sin. When it says that you save a soul from death, he's not talking about salvation. He may be talking about saving them from a living death. That is a backslidden, miserable... You know, a backslidden Christian... It's miserable. You know why? Because if you're out of fellowship with the Lord, you can't be full fellowship with the world. And so there you are between those two things and you're miserable. In fact, can I remind you of something too? Some of the meanest people you'll meet are backslidden Christians. Because they're out of fellowship with God. They can't be in full fellowship with the world. And so they're miserable. And if they're true Christian, God the Holy Spirit's working on their heart. They don't have that peace in their heart that they ought to have. When it says that it's referring to saving them from the sin and the death, sometimes the Lord will discipline a child of God and take them home to heaven rather than still have them dishonor Him. I won't go into great detail, but 1 John 5, 16 and 17 talks about that. 1 John 5, 16 and 17. If you refuse to get right with your Father, there is a point. You say, where is that at? I don't know. I don't want to find out. But there are instances where God will take a child of God home rather than let them continue living in their sinful condition. It says you'll cover a multitude of sin. Sins that are committed are forgiven. A future sin is not committed. So we're pretty clear on one thing so far. Pray! Pray when you're sick. Pray when you're suffering. Pray for one another. Pray when you're backsliding. Pray when somebody else is sick. Pray, 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 pray. Listen, if you go out today and somebody says, what's your preacher preach about this morning? You better say, pray. 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 But then he gives us an illustration, a man that we can look at and say, well, here's how it works. The man Elijah. Chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a man of like nature. He was one like us. He's a man like us. He prayed earnestly. It would not rain. It didn't rain for three and a half years. He prayed again and it rained. Look at Elijah. He's a man like us. Flesh and bone. He was not Superman. But it says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man makes a difference. It makes an impact. Notice Notice the specifics. It's offered by a righteous person. One who's in a right relationship with God. It's earnest. It's fervent. I read this this uh, uh, last night. I read that story again. 
where he's praying for the rain to come back. And he goes up and he begins to pray with his head between his knees. If you remember the story, he prayed seven times. He sent his servant, go look and see if there's any clouds. No clouds. Go look again. Go look again. Go look again. On the seventh time, he says there was a cloud the size of a man's hand. And he knew God had heard him. He said, old wicked Ahab, get up and get going lest your chariot wheels get stuck because there's a sound of abundance of rain that's coming. The fervent prayer, not flippant prayer, not half-hearted prayer, not I can take it or leave it prayer, fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man, a righteous woman, it makes a difference. And I think one of the greatest challenges to our prayer lives is we don't believe that. We don't believe that our prayers really make a difference. But they do. They do. And so we come full circle. Pray for yourself. Ask others to pray for you. And pray for others. Well, we're too tired. We're too busy. We're too distracted. To really give ourselves to prayer. So what do we do? I'm going to give you four words. And then we're going to pray. First word. Are you ready? Repent. Repent of what? Prayerlessness is sin. Prayerlessness is sin. Because God tells us to pray. He commands us to pray. He invites us to pray. And furthermore, prayerlessness is just pride. It's saying, God, I don't need to pray. Don't have to pray. Don't need you. That's sin. We need to repent. Secondly, we need to reprioritize our lives. Because if we're too busy and too distracted, and too tired to pray, then some things are out of whack in our lives. And may I just suggest to you that you start that process with prayer. Just lay your life out before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not praying like I ought to. I realize that things are not right. I pray that you'll help me. Help me, Lord, as I look at my schedule and my commitments and the things that I've got my family involved in, the things that we're doing, and ask Him to help you to move prayer up the ladder in your priority. And by the way, prayer should permeate everything. It's not just, well, I said my five minutes prayer and I'm done for the day. Prayer should go through it. I'll pray without ceasing. But is it a priority in your life? You need to reprioritize your life. But then there's a third word, and that's the word repeat. <laughs> you say, well, what, do you mean? Why, what do you mean repeat? Well, let me just tell you, if you're really going to try to make prayer a priority in your life, you're probably going to need to repeat those first two steps a couple times. You're going to need to repent. Lord, I messed up again. And you're going to need to reprioritize again. But there's a fourth word. It's very important. I've got to give it to you quickly. It's the word relationship. You say, where'd that come from? Well, I want to remind you that prayer is not just something that you check off your list of the day. Prayer is a relationship that you're building. It's a relationship that you're building. You're allowing God to speak to you through His Word and then you're speaking to God through prayer. And just like you build any other relationship, there has to be that time of communication. The time of communication. And you know, a lot of Christians, we're kind of like a, a, a couple that's just starting out. You know, you can tell how long a couple's been together, man and woman, by how close they sit to each other in the car or at the church or whatever. Did you know that? And the, they're together early on and they're communicating. They just And then as they grow together, they kind of move apart for some reason. 
convictions hitting the choir loft as I preach right now. And so when we first come to faith in Christ, we can't wait to pray, can we? Just like we can't wait to tell others about Jesus. We're excited about the Lord. We're excited about our newfound faith. And we want to grow in the Lord. And we love Jesus with all of our heart. And we just we want to spend time with Him. We want to pray. We want to read the Word of God. But then we've been a Christian for a year or two years or ten years or forty years. And now we just don't have the, the heart for it we once did. And we just don't pray like we once did. We forget we're building a relationship. Relationship takes time and, and communication. And, and one of the reasons we struggle so is we forget we're not just talking to the ceiling. We're not just talking to some spirit somewhere or something we don't even know about. We're talking to our good, good Father who loves us. And by the way, can I just tell you, He desires to hear from us. Does that throw your soul? I'm going to say that again. God, the Heavenly Father, wants to hear from you. That's just amazing to me. The Queen of England doesn't know that I exist. President Trump doesn't know I exist. The Governor of North Carolina doesn't know I exist. Oh, I'm a number, yes. I'm a taxpayer, yes. What I'm telling you, though, is God, the Creator of the universe, knows me by name. He loves me with an everlasting love and He wants to hear from me. He cares about what's on my heart. He cares about how I'm hurting. He cares about what I'm stressing over. He cares about what's on my mind. He says, cast all that on me. I love you. I care for you. And by the way, can I just remind you, He knows your name. And He wants to hear from you. And He's such an amazing Father. We don't overwhelm Him. Sometimes my guys can come and they're all talking at one time and I can't handle it all. But there's never a time we all can go to the Father at the same time. People from all over the world can go and pray in any language. And the Father is attentive to their cry because He loves us with an everlasting love. The reason we don't pray is we don't realize how good God is and how much He loves us and how much He wants to bless us and how much He wants to help us. And so I say to you today a very simple thing. Beloved, pray. And when you get done, pray some more. And you don't have anything else to pray for, pray for yourself. Pray for your family. Pray for your church. Pray for your pastor. Pray for the world. Pray for the lost. Pray for the missionary. Pray. And then pray some more. And keep on praying. Father, we failed in this so many times. Forgive us, Lord for our prayerlessness. Forgive us for thinking evil thoughts of You that You don't care and You don't answer and You don't really change things. Father, help us to humble ourselves and to pray for ourselves and then to humble ourselves even more and ask others to pray for us and then, Lord, as needed to humble ourselves and confess our trespasses to one another and pray for one another. Thank you that prayer makes a difference. 
Lord, we know it's not our praying as much as it's the one we're praying to you. You're the all-powerful God. Thank you that you want to hear from us. That's an amazing thought. May we practice it. May we be obedient to the word today. May we be forever changed because of this service as we're challenged to pray like we've never prayed before. Have your will and way, I pray, in the invitation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our invitation hymn today, I think, is an appropriate one. Uh, 445, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. The altar's open. You want to come and pray, hey. It'd be a great day to come and pray today, don't you think? 445, we can help you in some way. If we can pray with you, let us know that. 445, let's stand together. Sweet hour of prayer.